Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. I'm Greg DeVries, pastor at The Well Scottsboro, and I'm grateful that you've decided to listen to this podcast. I hope that this word uplifts you and encourages you wherever you are. Stay with me for a few moments after the sermon. I would like to pray with you. I trust you'll be blessed by the word of God. Well, I want to say thank you uh, to each and every one of you for being here this morning, but I want to issue a special thank you to any veterans that are here and present with us today. If you served in any of our armed forces, would you stand up so we can give you a big round of applause and appreciate you? Thank you so much for the men and women that served our military. Obviously, yesterday was Veterans Day, and we want you to know here at The Well, we respect you. We honor you. We believe that when you signed up to defend this country, part of what you were doing is you were acting like Jesus because Jesus says, no greater love has this than a man would lay down his life for his friends. You may say, well, I didn't die. I understand that. You still chose, if I do, I'm doing it because I want to protect and defend this great nation. G.K. Chesterton said, the true soldier does not, not, does not fight because he hates what, in front of, is what, of it, what is in front of him, but because he loves what is behind him. And so you showed love when you stood for our country, and I just want to say thank you so very much for doing that. Can we give them one more round of applause? We appreciate our veterans. Well, you already heard on the video from Pastor Greg, he and my mom are uh, down in Texas and uh, they are ministering to Vertical Chapel there. Um, They ministered on Friday and they're spending time. They've been in meetings all this weekend. And um, so please keep them in your prayers for safe travel as they come home. We obviously miss them anytime that they are gone. Um, But I'm always honored to be at the well in Scottsboro. It's been a little bit since I've been able to be with you guys on a Sunday morning, and I've been looking forward to this opportunity. If you have your Bible, grab it, stand to your feet with me, and uh, do this. Hold it up and say this with me. Say, I am what his word says I am. I can do what his word says I can do. I can be who his word says I can be. And so today, I'll receive his word. I'll obey his word because I love his word. In Jesus' name. Stay standing with me and turn to the book of Romans, the 14th chapter. We're going to read verses 16 through 18, and then I'll let you take a seat one more time, and I'm not going to talk to you for very long today, just a little long, okay? So let's read Romans chapter 14, verses 16 through 18 together. As the body of Christ, I like to stand just for the reading of God's word to show uh, reverence and respect to it, because how many know the word of God has the power to transform our lives? And so we're looking to his word today. This is what Paul writes. He says, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Let's pray today. Father, I thank you for your word. And I said, as we look to it today with open hearts and open minds, that you would instruct us and guide us, correct us, lead us, help us to understand it with clarity and with accuracy. God, I empty myself of me. I pray that you would uh, touch me by your Holy Spirit to be able to speak to your church today in a way that is going to edify and and add to what you want to add to the body of Christ in Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to talk to you today about the prerequisites of the kingdom of God. 
And I want to start by talking about this passage of scripture in Romans, the 14th chapter, because as Paul is writing to the church there in Rome, he's trying to set some things in order. And it's interesting, he's actually talking about one person says that they don't eat meat, and another one says they only eat vegetables, and one person does eat meat, and another person doesn't. And there's all this conflict that's going back and forth. And basically, he boils it down to this, and he says, listen, guys, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. That's not why we are serving him. That's not why we've been welcomed into relationship with God so that we could sit here and argue about how we eat and don't eat because Jesus said it's not what goes in a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of a man because it's about what happens in your heart. And Paul says the kingdom of God, he defines it for us. You know, I think that we all would say and we understand we live in the kingdom of God, but if we were tasked with the responsibility of explaining the kingdom of God, we would not have a very good answer. Or maybe we wouldn't have a very clear answer. Maybe it would take us a while to get to the point. I wanna give you a, a very simple way to explain it. If someone ever asks you, what is the kingdom of God? You can reply with clarity, with authority and certainty. It's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Spirit because that's what Paul told us that the kingdom of God is. So that means that if you're living in the kingdom, then you should be living by the standard of righteousness, of peace and of joy. And you decide and you declare because our home is a home of the kingdom that only righteousness is gonna happen in this home. Only peace. We don't do chaos. We don't do fighting. We don't do bickering. There may be seasons that we have to work through some things, but we know that we're peacemakers. We're not just somebody that's gonna let chaos rule and reign in our home. And I wanna define to you very quickly before we get into the prerequisites of the kingdom righteousness, peace, and joy. So that, <clears throat> excuse me, so that you have a clear understanding when Paul says that this is what the kingdom of God is, you know what you can expect in the kingdom. So in the kingdom, you get righteousness. What is righteousness? That means that you are approved by God. You ever, you know, when, when, when somebody uh, is approving something, maybe the, it gets like a stamp of approval. You ever had to have something stamped for approval? Um, what is that called when you have to go down to, uh, somebody help me out. Notary, and you have to get it stamped and approved. When we come into the kingdom of God, we come into righteousness that has been administered to us, transferred to us by the work of the cross. And God stamps us with his approval and says, that is mine. But the, if you study the entomology of the word righteousness, you will realize that it also means equity of character. And equity of character means to possess all good qualities in perfect balance. That's what God has promised to you. Now, not everybody is living at that place where we have all good qualities and perfect balance, but we do have that promise to us by God. It's a journey that we can walk with him to get to the place of being truly righteous in Christ Jesus. He also promises to us peace. Peace is simply rest, health, wholeness, and prosperity. So I don't know about you, but I wanna live in the kingdom because when God looks down from heaven and he sees Spencer DeVries, I want the stamp of approval on my life. I want the all qualities, uh, good qualities in equal abundance. I want him to look down and I want to live in rest. I want to live in peace and I want to live in prosperity. That means I want to be sound in my thinking. I want to be sound in my relationships. I want to be sound in my finances. I want everything that I do to have peace. Now, peace doesn't mean the absence of problems. It means that in the face of adversity, I'm not shaken. 
I'm still standing firm because I know that this kingdom is not a kingdom that's gonna be defeated by the enemy. It may endure torment, it may endure torture, it may endure persecution, but nothing can demolish the kingdom of God. And so that's why I know I have peace because I live in the kingdom. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. And the world may try to come against the kingdom and it may be, things may try to shake, be shaken and stirred, but I know this, I can have peace, I can have rest. I can be whole in my spirit, even when everything else is falling apart because I'm a member of the kingdom of God. And then he promises not just righteousness, not just peace, but joy. Joy is an area that as I look around at the people that would consider them kingdom people today, there's a lot of righteousness, um, there's some peace, but there's not a lot of joy. And joy cannot be faked. Actually, none of these things can be faked. Because joy literally just means gladness. You can't fake being glad. You can put a smile on your face, but you can't fake being glad. And in the kingdom of God, God's kingdom is a kingdom of gladness. So that means that we have the ability to enjoy life no matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on. So we don't just have peace. So we're not just like, yeah, I'm okay, I'm calm. No, I'm glad even in the middle of the situation or the circumstance because I know that I'm a member of the kingdom of God. So how many of you guys wanna walk in righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost? Come on, if we don't, if we don't want that, then you didn't understand anything that I said for the last five minutes. Um, I wanna talk to you for a few moments though on the prerequisites of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is available to everyone. God is not up there, he's not already predecided. this person can't come, this person can come, you're not allowed, you are allowed, I like this race more than another race, I like this color more than another color. God created all men equal and he made the kingdom of God available to anyone that wants to come and be a part of it, but there are prerequisites. Just because he gave an open invitation doesn't mean that everybody is automatically included into the kingdom of God. So it's available to everybody, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost are not enjoyed by everyone. In fact, you look at the church, and I wanna say this to you very clearly. You can be in the church and not be in the kingdom. There's a difference in church and kingdom. And there's a lot of people that are living in church and they're wondering why they don't have that approval from God, why there's not peace and why there's not joy. It's because they're trying to find those things only in church instead of living in the kingdom of God. And so we've gotta become kingdom people because the kingdom is accessible to everyone, but not everyone gains access to it because some people try to circumvent the prerequisites that are clearly stated in the word of God. And so we're gonna talk about these today. A prerequisite, goodness gracious, is everybody okay? Everybody all right? Was that outside? We're good? Okay, that was a very quick, we're good. Okay, all right, good deal. It sounded worse than it was. I have children, I totally understand. Okay, a prerequisite is this. It's a thing that is required as a prior condition for something else to happen or exist. So God clearly stated prerequisites in his word that this must happen in order for you to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's not God excluding people. It's God showing the way to get into the kingdom. So we need to look at it this way. This is not God saying you can't. It's God saying you can. 
This is how you come about it. Because if all he did was say, come to the kingdom of God, but he didn't give us prerequisites, we wouldn't know how to get to the kingdom. We'd all be lost. And so he, he, out of his grace and his love, showed us the way to get there. And I want you to think about it this way, with a prerequisite. In order to acquire a driver's license, you must follow the prerequisite of passing a driver's exam. Now, it's obvious to tell there are drivers out there that don't have driver's license because there ain't no way that person passed an exam, right? And if they did, it's because their aunt was the instructor at the DMV. And for some reason, she passed them when you know for a fact they don't know their left from their right, right? So a prerequisite for getting a driver's license is passing a driver's exam. A, a prerequisite for practicing law is what? Passing the bar. If you don't pass the bar, you cannot, you cannot practice law. And how about uh, if you are not, and this is supposed to be, but um, a prerequisite for voting is being a citizen. That's supposed to happen. Um, how about um, a prerequisite for obtaining a mortgage is having good credit. Right, And so we live in this world where we understand naturally that there are prerequisites and we wouldn't want somebody that didn't pass a driver's exam to be out there bringing harm to the roads. We wouldn't want somebody that didn't pass the bar practicing law, right? We wouldn't want someone that is not legally and lawfully a citizen voting in one of our elections. But what about in the kingdom of God? We need to adhere to the prerequisites that he has given to us. And so you may find as we go through these that you're batting a thousand. You may be doing great. As we go through, we're gonna cover five prerequisites. Now, I wanna say this. This is not an exhaustive list of the prerequisites of the kingdom. You may find more in your study of the Bible. I'm simply giving you a starting point and things that are clearly stated in the word of God. Because if I claim to give you an exhaustive list about anything, that would mean that I claim to be the sum total of wisdom concerning that subject. And I would never stand before you and do that. And so this is simply things that I have found. And for the sake of time, we have to draw the line somewhere. And so five seemed like a good place to stop. Um, but you may find that you're doing really well in some of these. You may find that you're batting 750, 500. You may find out you are completely striking out in all of these categories. So either let it be an encouragement to you or let it be like this. When you reinforce something, you make it stronger. And so you may hear some of these topics or these prerequisites and be like, oh, I know all about that. Well, then let the words that God is speaking to the church today reinforce your belief concerning these things. Don't put it to the side. Paul said, he said, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but it's helpful. It's needful for you. And so you may hear something be like, oh, I already believe in that. I already believe in that. Let it reinforce that belief so that you are stronger concerning these matters of prerequisites of the kingdom of God. The first one we're gonna talk about is repentance. We have to begin with repentance because repentance is simply to change your mind. And so if we're going to come to the kingdom of God, the first step that we have to take is change our mind from thinking earthly to thinking kingdom. That's why Paul said, set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Because if you're thinking earthly, you cannot live kingdom. And so if we're going to enter the kingdom, we have to repent. Now, the problem is, is we have defined repentance as saying, I'm sorry. Saying I'm sorry is not the same thing as repentance. Repentance is completely different. And the reason that I say it's a prerequisite for entering the kingdom of God is because when Jesus began his preaching ministry in the book of Matthew, the fourth chapter in the 17th verse, after he'd been baptized by John the Baptist, came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. He went into the wilderness. He came back out of the wilderness, having been tested by the devil, but having not sinned. And the first thing he opens his mouth and says to people is repent for the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. That's how he began his ministry. And so he's referencing the kingdom, but first his entry point to the kingdom is repentance. And so he's saying, I want you to change your mind and repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now the word for in the Greek is an interesting word because it actually means because. So what Jesus is saying is this, repent, change your mind, change your purpose, reconsider because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what he means is it's within reach. He's saying to anyone that will listen to me, to anybody that will repent, you are not ostracized, you're not put out, you are not left over here and unable to come in, it's, it's here. It's at hand, it's within reach. It's like if Pastor Cody were to hold out that water bottle right now, I couldn't reach it because I'm not there. But if I were to walk down to where he was, it would be within reach. It would be at hand. And Jesus is saying, heaven came down to earth to make the kingdom of God be within reach. But if you're going to come, you need to repent. You need to change your mind. You need to turn from your sin. You need to forsake it because repent doesn't just mean to change the mind because we cannot get so narrow-minded to think, oh, well, I'll just think differently. But it also does mean to turn away from. It means to forsake. So Jesus is saying, if you're gonna come into the kingdom, you cannot try to drag your sin into the kingdom. You have to be willing to forsake your, your sin. Now, here's the deal. You cannot walk sinless without God, but you cannot come to God without choosing. I'm coming to you and I'm not trying to stay in my sin. I'm forsaking it, I'm turning away from it, and I'm go, I used to be heading this direction, but now I'm going a different direction. So forsake it. Don't just say, I'm sorry. Let me say this to you. I'm sorry will not get you into the kingdom because you can say I'm sorry and not really be sorry. How many parents know what I'm talking about, right? How many coworkers know what I'm talking about? How many Americans know what I'm talking about? Because you can say I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and not really be sorry. But what proves that somebody's sorry? When they change. And so when we change from living one way to living another way, it's not by our power, but it's by his grace that we say, I'm choosing to repent. I'm not gonna go that way. I'm not gonna think that way. And let me talk to you about thinking for a moment because it means to reconsider. It means to think differently. Thinking differently doesn't happen overnight. It's not a magical experience that you decide, you know what? I'm not gonna struggle with thinking lustful thoughts. I'm not gonna struggle with, with thinking ill towards people and judgmental and negative, but it's that every single day you choose, I am going to put my mind on him. I'm not gonna put it on that. And you grow and you grow and you grow. And you know, it's funny how we will celebrate growth in other people, but we think and we, we, we despise the little growth in our own life. We don't realize that, oh, I'm thinking better today than I did a year ago, but we, th we think that because we haven't reached the destination of perfection that we might as well not even try anymore. But I'm telling you today, think properly. Think again. In fact, when, when, when the Jewish people considered the kingdom of God, what they thought is it was gonna resemble the Davidic kingdom, that it was going to be you know, a king that would come in and would establish order and dominance over the Romans and would rebuild his, you know, his, his palace and would be ruling and reigning. And Jesus says, think again about the kingdom. Reconsider. I'm urging you, don't look at it through natural eyes. Look at it from spiritual eyes and realize the kingdom of God is here. You think it's coming. I'm here to tell you, 
I brought the kingdom of God here to the earth. So we change our mind. We think holy thoughts, which takes time. Thinking properly, the mindset of repentance is a process. It's not just a destination. And we have to choose every day to be renewed in our minds, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so there is no access to the kingdom of God without repentance. That's the starting point that I choose. I'm changing my mind because I cannot think earthly and live kingdom. And so we cannot change the message of the gospel. Jesus began preaching by saying, change your mind, turn from your sin because the kingdom of God has come to you. So that's the first prerequisite for the kingdom of God. And it's amazing to me how we don't want anything to do with repentance, but repentance is grace at its simplest level. That's all it is. We think repentance is harsh, it's mean. No, repentance is grace. Repentance is God saying, I am giving you the opportunity to change instead of judging you based upon where you currently are. So number one prerequisite is repentance. Number two is being born again. Now, repentance and being born again, you might say, well, isn't that the same thing? No, repentance is what leads you to the process of being born again. You start with repentance, and as you repent, and as you, you change your mind, and as you change your direction and your course, you get born again by the Spirit of God. We don't use this terminology, born again, much like we used to. Now it's believer, Christian, um, you know, whatever terminology we may have. But how about, I'm a born again Christian. I'm a born again believer in Jesus Christ. Do you know why we have shied away from the terminology born again? Because it makes absolutely zero sense to the natural mind. What do you mean born again? What is that? That sounds weird. So we just reduced it to Christian. We just reduced it to believer. But if we're gonna be in the kingdom, we've gotta be born again. And we've gotta teach and preach that the only way to get to the kingdom of God is by being born again. It's not just by saying, I don't go to the club, I go to church. It's not just by saying, I don't drink you know, this and that, but instead I drink coffee all the time now. It's by saying, I have been born again. And I wanna show you this in the scripture because believing in God doesn't get you into the kingdom of God. Just like saying I'm sorry is not the same thing as repenting, believing is not the same thing as being born again. In fact, James said, you believe in God? Great job. Even demons believe and tremble. So do demons live in the kingdom of God? No. And so it's not just believing that gets you in the kingdom, it's being born again. And I wanna show you this in John, the third chapter. In John chapter three, verse one, it says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Do you know what Nicodemus is doing? He's admitting we believe in you. But that's not enough, because look at Jesus's answer. Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, or he cannot see the kingdom of God. Can you imagine how out of left field this must have sounded to Nicodemus? He's trying to announce his belief in Jesus and Jesus comes back with, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You can't even see the kingdom of God. Basically, he's saying your belief is not really gonna do much for you. I'm not saying that you shouldn't believe in God. I'm not discounting belief. There is importance in belief because belief is the entry point, but even demons believe in God. And Jesus says, unless you are born again. Now, 
Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And then he says this, do not marvel to you that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So Jesus is plainly stating, in order to come into the kingdom of God, there is a prerequisite of being born again, being born of water and being born of spirit. And so Nicodemus is trying to figure things out from in his mind, from an earthly perspective. And Jesus is taking him into a spiritual perspective and saying, look, you have to be born again. Now, you may ask, how do I know that I've been born again? I would say, you know, if you've been born again. Because conversion takes place. Transformation takes place. Your desires change. Your, your, your demeanor changes. Even your personality will change because you've been born from, you're not who you used to be. You're a completely new person. And if you don't know that you're born again, do you know what you need to do? All you have to do is ask him. All you have to do is say, God, would you, would you allow me to be, or not would you allow me, but would you make me reborn? Would you rebirth me? Would you regenerate me? Would you, would you convert me? You see, we preach salvation a lot more than we preach conversion. And salvation is needed. But you know what else is needed? Conversion. True conversion of the soul. Being born again to where you, you wonder, why is it that I got saved, but I still have the same things that I used to struggle with, the same habits? Because there hasn't been true conversion. Because you haven't been born again. You believe in God. But when Nicodemus said they believed in him, Jesus said, you need to be born again. He didn't go, give him a gold star. Great job, Nicodemus, you guys believe. He said, you need to be born again. Now again, I understand these are things that we believe, but they need to be reinforced. When was the last time you thought about being born again? I'll tell you this, I've needed to be born again so many times that I've lost track of my birthday, right? Because I realized that there are times that I need to be renewed. I need to be reborn. I need God to, to make me a new, I need him to create a new heart in me, a clean heart inside of me. So we need to be born again. All right, the third one, this one's kind of interesting. And I understand this is not a pump you up kind of sermon. And I was fully aware of that coming into this, but this is what the Lord placed up on my heart. And so thank you for, for staying with me on this. The third prerequisite for the kingdom of God is we must lack greed. Greed is not an attribute that God smiles upon. If we want to come into the kingdom of God, we need to have the opposite of greed. What's the opposite of greed? Generosity. In the kingdom of God, generosity is the currency. Faith, but as we work through faith, faith will cause us to be generous. And so we cannot be greedy. God's kingdom is the most prosperous kingdom on the planet. There is no lack in God's kingdom. God never wrings his hands wondering if he's gonna be able to keep the lights on in heaven. He never wonders, is there gonna be enough food for the sparrow to eat? Is there going to be enough sunshine? Is there gonna be enough rain? God has everything that he needs and God has everything that we need. And so when we doubt God's provision 
and we don't look to him as provider, but instead we focus on the currency of this world or we focus on what we can gain and what we have access to, then we're not living by the prerequisite of his kingdom to not be a greedy person. And so he requires his citizens in his kingdom to fully depend upon him as their provider. Not man, not the government, not mom and dad, not the credit card. He calls us to depend upon him as our sole provider. Not being controlled by resources, but rather having control of resources. Being wise as serpents, being harmless as doves. And when I started thinking about this as a prerequisite for the kingdom of God, it came based upon some scriptures that I was reading. And I thought about the story of the rich young ruler where this young man, he came to Jesus and he said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you should keep the commandments. He said, which ones? Jesus listed off some commandments. He said, I've, I've already, I've kept all those commandments. Even from, from the time I was little, even when I was little, I didn't do, do those things wrong. I've, I've kept it my whole way. And Jesus said, you still lack one thing. He said, if you want to inherit eternal life, you need to go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. The Bible says that he went his way hanging his head for he had many possessions. The unauthorized Spencer DeVries version says he went his way and hung his head because many possessions had him. He was controlled by what he thought he was in control of. And so he went his way. And immediately after this young man walks away from Jesus, Jesus turns to his disciples and he states this in Matthew 19, 23 and 24. I truly, I tell you, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus is painting a very clear picture of this young man that came asking how to inherit eternal life, which eternal life and the kingdom of heaven are kind of synonymous. And he says, I wanna come and I wanna be a part. And Jesus says, okay, you've done, you've kept all the commandments, but go sell everything that you have. Now, you may wonder, does that mean that I need to go sell everything that I have? No, Jesus was trying to get to a heart issue with this young man and show him greed has a hold of you. And if you wanna live in the kingdom, then you're gonna have to lose the greed because a prerequisite for entering the kingdom of God is lacking greed. Notice, Jesus did not say it is impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said it's hard for a rich person. So he wasn't eliminating people that make more than a certain amount of money a year. What he was saying is, and, and you wanna say, well, this doesn't really apply to me because I'm rich. Let me ask you this question. Did you eat today? Did you eat yesterday? You got shoes on your feet? Do you have a house? Did you drive here in a car? Guess what? You're rich. Because compared to the rest of the world, you are wealthy. You're not just rich, you're wealthy. There's a difference. Rich, rich is one thing. Wealthy is just another level. Guess where you're living in? You're wealthy. You may not feel wealthy compared to someone that is the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, but compared to other people around the world, you're a wealthy. And guess what? Jesus said it's hard for rich people. Why? Because they think they already have everything that they need. And they get trapped in this web called greed that will keep them from living in the true prosperity of the kingdom of God. You know, I fear that we, we've gotten so turned against the preaching of prosperity, which is biblical in nature, 
And we have settled for earthly means instead of walking in heavenly prosperity. All in the name of, I don't believe that prosperity preacher stuff. You don't have to send $5,000 and receive a little vial of holy water and have somebody on TV call your name out in prayer in order to get a miracle. But I'll tell you this, just because all, some of those things and all those things may be lies, it doesn't mean that you get to reject a truth of the word of God, which is that he takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants, spirit, soul, and body. He wants you. And so that's why he doesn't want us to walk in greed because greed blocks us from true blessing. Greed blocks you from truly walking in the prosperity that God has destined for your life. So another example of this in the word of God is in the book of Acts. The Bible says that all things have been made common amongst the church. And it was very common that when they sold a piece of property, they would come and lay the proceeds of the sale at the feet of the apostles. And so there was a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. You can find this in Acts chapter five in your Bibles, that they sold a plot of land, but they decided to keep back a portion of the proceeds for themselves. And they would take the rest of the money, lay to the apostles' feet. But the issue was not that they kept some for themselves. The issue was that they lied concerning how much they had sold the land for. And so they brought a portion of the proceeds, laid it at the feet, or actually Ananias did, just the husband, and he laid it at the feet of Peter. And Peter said, tell me, Ananias, is this how much you sold the land for? And Ananias said, oh yeah, that was it. Peter said, why has it entered your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And he dropped dead. Men carried him, they buried him. Hours later, his wife shows up and she's probably wondering because she didn't have a cell phone to check in on him. She's probably wondering, where's Ananias been? right? Like dinner's getting cold. So she shows up at Peter, to Peter and she goes, hey. And he goes, hey, Sapphira, let me ask you a question. Is this how much you sold the land for? Oh yeah, that's how much it was. He said, the feet of the men that carried your husband to his grave, they're standing at the door and they're going to take you to your grave now. You'll be buried next to him. She dropped dead. He carried out. It's one of the most unnerving stories in all of the Bible. But what is at the root of their wrong, greed. Because they lived in greed, they could not be a partaker of the kingdom of God. So if we're gonna live in the kingdom, we have to follow the, the, the prerequisite of not being greedy. He doesn't want us to be greedy. You know what he does want us to be generous. One of my favorite scriptures in the book of Proverbs says, the world of the generous grows larger and larger. That means that the more that you give, the more that you're able to give, the more that you are generous, not just with money, but with time, with compliments, with, with your energy, with helping others, your world grows larger and larger because what happens truly is when you are generous, you're living in the kingdom and the kingdom is endless. And so we wanna live in the kingdom of God. Here's the fourth one I wanna talk to you about, being childlike. If you're gonna come to the kingdom of God, you must be like a child. Why? I'm going to show you some scriptures containing this truth in a moment, but I want to explain something to you before we get to that. The reason that God requires that we come to him like a child is because God's ultimate desire for all time is to be a father. That's what he wanted from the very beginning. In fact, I've been teaching J3 about this on Mondays. When it comes to God as a father, it's only present in the Old Testament 15 times. God references a father. Just in the Gospels alone, Jesus references God as Father over 165 times. 
So it's very present. It's to us, it's like, yeah, God's a father, God's a father. But for thousands of years, he wasn't understood that way. In fact, in John chapter five, when Jesus called himself the son of God, they called him a blasphemer and they wanted to stone him because it was so outside of their mind and the realm of possibilities that someone could actually call God father. But from the beginning of time, God always wanted to be called a father. And so let me ask you this. Does God always get what God wants? No, he doesn't. How do I know that? Because the book of Second Peter says, he is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. The question is, does everyone come to repentance? No, but that's not his will. His will is what he wants. So he doesn't always get what he wants. The first time God is revealed as a father in the scripture is in the book of Exodus chapter four, when Moses is standing at the burning bush and God says, you tell Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn. Let my son go. How do we always quote that? Let my people go, right? Now, later Moses would say that to Pharaoh, but when God first spoke it out of his mouth at the burning, or through the burning bush to Moses, he said, let my son go. Why does this hold so much more weight? Because people is just, it could be any group of people. Son says, I'm their father. And as their father, I'm their protector. And as their father, I have the right to say to Pharaoh, get your hand off of my boy. Just like if someone grabbed one of my children, no longer are they just buddy, pal. They're like, you better get your hand off my son and you better get it off of him now. That's what God was saying through Moses to Pharaoh because God called Israel his firstborn. He revealed himself as a father. And then if you go over to the book of Jeremiah, God says in chapter three, he said, I thought to myself, I would love nothing more than to be their father. He said, I looked forward to you guys calling me father, but you Israel have been like an unfaithful woman to her husband and you've walked away from me. Showing us God's heart, even in the Old Testament, was to want to be a father. But Israel rejected him as a father. So what did he do? He didn't write him off. He sent Jesus who showed up 165 times in four gospels and said, called God father. He can be your father. I want just the way I'm, I'm the father one. I want you and the father to be one. I want you to know him as the father. In fact, when he taught his disciples to pray, they said, teacher, just like John showed his disciples to pray, show us how to pray. He said, okay, when you pray, pray like this, our father. When you come to God and you address God, I want you to come to God as the father. He'd been known for thousands of years as Lord, as creator, as supreme, as the one that ruled and reigned, but he's, and he still is all those things, but he's saying, I want you to know me as your father. When you come to God, you call him your father. So when we come to him, we come like children. We come as his sons. We come as his daughters. I love what John said. Behold what manner of love the father has lavished upon us that we should be called the sons of God, the children of God. In Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16, this story is parallel to Matthew 18. It says, they brought little children to Jesus that he might touch them. But the disciple rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. What such? He's talking and referencing the children. Of children is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. 
And so he took him up in his arms and he laid his hands on him and he blessed him. What's he saying? A prerequisite for entering the kingdom is coming like a child. Now you may say, that seems a little weird. So does saying you need to be reborn. So does, but, but he's saying, I want you to be childlike. So what does he mean when he says childlike? One, he means referencing him as father, seeing him in that light, seeing him in that perspective. But it does not justify immaturity, acting like a baby. It promotes a mindset that takes him at his word. Yesterday, my boys and I were watching football, which we do almost as religiously as we go to church. If you have a problem with that, Judge not lest ye be judged. We, it's something we like doing together as a family. And so we're watching football. And all day, dad, who's that? Dad, who's that? What are they doing? Why is that a penalty? What are they doing that? And as I answer their questions, I've realized that they are basing their understanding and their perception of football based upon what I say. They don't go, that can't be true. I could tell them that, so in football, this is a holding. I could tell them it was pass interference and they'd believe me. Why? Because they're my child, and so they take me at my word. And so Jesus is saying, if you're gonna come to the kingdom of God, you have to come like a child, meaning what your father says, you believe him. It's not the same thing as being gullible. It means being full of faith, expecting, God, I whatever you said, I believe that that's the truth. I'm gonna build my life upon it. And so a child also represents purity and innocence. If you come to the kingdom of God, you need to come and, and, and realize that that you come in, in, in a pure heart. You come in innocence. You come not being rigid. You know, one thing I, I love about children is they love to enjoy life. They love to have fun. Old people, and when I say old people, I'm not talking about people over 70. I'm talking about like just anyone adult, anyone over 21, you're now old, okay? Because when it's like once you hit a certain age, we lose the ability to have fun. We lose the ability to laugh and enjoy life. But you look at a child, they can find enjoyment anywhere and in anything. And, he's, and remember what the, the kingdom of God is. It's righteousness, peace, and joy, gladness. And so he's saying, if you're gonna come into this kingdom, you need to come like a child. If you think you have it all figured out, you've already missed the boat, you've already missed the bus, you've already missed the plane, the car, however you're trying to get there, you've already missed it, okay? Because you have to come like a child. The kingdom is for those that have dependence on the king. Just like a child, I don't expect my children to go out and get a job when they're, you know, they're four months. Let's see if I can do this. Four months, four, five, seven, and 10. I don't expect them to, de- to, to provide for themselves. Why? Because they're still at the age where they're dependent on their father. When it comes to the kingdom of God, we never outgrow our need for dependence on our father. He's saying, if you're gonna enter the kingdom, come like a child. Here's the fifth one. And actually, Pastor Joel, if you wouldn't mind joining me. The fifth prerequisite for the kingdom of God is doing his will. If you're gonna live in the kingdom, you have to be a person that has surrendered what you want in exchange for what he wants. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus makes a very vivid description of what it's going to be like at the end of time when we stand before God. And he says in verse 21, not everyone, listen to that, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, You may say, I thought we were talking about the kingdom of God. Why are we now talking about the kingdom of heaven? If you don't live in the kingdom of God on earth, don't expect to live in the kingdom of heaven later, okay? Only those who live in the kingdom here get to live in the kingdom there. 
So he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare from them, I'm sorry, declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So we're gonna have people that live their entire life thinking they were living with God that are gonna wake up to a harsh reality. They weren't in the kingdom. They called Lord, Lord. They believed in him. They called his name. Maybe they even said, I'm sorry. Maybe they even did some really good things all in the name of God. And he's gonna say, only those who do the will of the Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not just because you call out my name, but I have to know you. And I know those who do my will. We have gotten so far from the message of truth of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, only those who do the will of my Father. What is, what is his will? It's his desire, his pleasure, his choice. If you look up the word in the Greek, will, it means his choice. Only those who do what God chooses for their life. It may look better to you on the outside. It may look better to you from your perspective to do things a certain way. But at the end of the day, if you're a kingdom citizen, you say, my desires, my choice always defaults to what does the king want? What's his choice? It may be a, pro it may be a promotion on the outside, but you don't realize what that promotion is gonna bring with it. Or it may be that Promotion doesn't come from the, the south, the east, or the west, but it comes from the Lord. He exalts one and he puts down another. And so you have to decide and ask, God, is this your choice? Is this your plan? Is this your will? Because if we do not live our lives saying, God, you get the right, you get the choice, I yield to you, then we're gonna stand before him one day and he's gonna say, you called me Lord, Lord, but you didn't do my will, so I don't know you. And I don't want anybody to come to that end result in their life because I love you and because God loves you. He's welcoming you into his will. And listen to this, choose today and know his will is better than my will. He knows greater than I do. He loves me more than I think that I know or love myself. And you may say, okay, that's great. But how do I know his will? Well, first I would say his will is always found in his word. But two, if you seek him, and you ask him, he will reveal his will to you. He's not hiding it somewhere from you. He's just waiting to give you the answer. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Can you stand to your feet with me today? Maybe you found yourself weighed in the balances today and you realize that there's some of these prerequisites that you haven't been adhering to because it's not just, I did these five things and so I got in and I'm good. These are prerequisites that we live our lives by. We can't forsake greed, get in the kingdom and live greedy and expect to still be in the kingdom. So there may be some areas of your life where you're like, you know what? I'm not living in the kingdom in that perspective. So that's why there's not righteousness. 
That's why there's no peace. That's why I don't have the joy that I should have that he's promised to me. Now you may say, righteousness, peace, and joy. Shouldn't I be going after those things? No, those are all things he gives to you. You don't have to chase righteousness. Righteousness was imputed to you by God. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not like the world gives, but like I give. And it says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That means that he gives it to us. So what we do is we obey his word, these prerequisites, and he will be faithful to endow your life with an unending supply of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And if you want to make a fresh commitment to live, not just in the church, not just be a good person, not just be a Christian, but to be a born-again member, citizen of the kingdom of God, I want to invite you to come and join me in the altar today. I'm not saying that that you're not saved. I'm not saying that you don't love God. What I'm saying is today, you're making a decision. You're saying, I am going to be a kingdom person. I want righteousness in my home. I want peace. I want joy. I want the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to live apart from the kingdom. I'm not going to be the type of person that doesn't accept or receive or, or live by the prerequisites. But I'm simply making a fresh statement today and saying, God, what you prescribed... When you said repentance or when you said that we must be born again and not be greedy or we have to be childlike or do the will of the Father, I'm committing fresh and new to do those things today because I want to live in your kingdom. If you want the benefits of the kingdom, then you're going to have to live under the domain of the king. But the problem that so many people have with kingdom living is they've realized and understand that in the kingdom, the king has ultimate authority. That's where it comes down to. He has the choice. He has the the, the decision. He gets to make it at the end of the day. And so today you're just simply resubmitting yourself and saying, God, I am reinforcing today and saying, I want to be a member of your kingdom. If that's you, even if you're not up here, if you're just saying, I'm a kingdom person or I want to be a kingdom person, just lift your hand all over this room today. Father, I thank you that you made the kingdom of God available to all by sending your son to die on a cross for our sins. He taught us and instructed us, redeemed us, promised us the Holy Spirit, made good on that promise by pouring him out on the day of Pentecost. And he is with us. You did not leave us orphans, but you invited us into the kingdom of God. And today we seek first the kingdom. God, not our goals, not our desires, not what we want, but what you want. And I thank you that your word promises us that you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Now, if you're up here today and you have some repenting of your own that you need to do, don't wait, don't hold back. Just start saying, God, change my mind. I'm forsaking and turning away from that thing that's been pulling me out of the kingdom that I've been wrestling with and battling with. Or maybe you're up here today and you're saying, God, I need to be born again. Just ask him. Maybe today you've been greedy. Renounce that greed and say, God, I want to live in compassion. I want to live in generosity. Maybe you haven't been childlike, but you've gotten this mentality that you know it all, you've got it figured out. Resubmit yourself to him and call him father. He said, I wanted you to call me father. Maybe it's been a long time since you called him that. Maybe you just call him God or you just call him Lord. Call him father. Approach him in that manner. Or maybe you've been doing your own will, seeking your own way. Realign it today. God, realign our hearts to do your will, to operate 
in the parameters that you have placed for your kingdom so there can be true blessing and true prosperity, true favor, true joy, true peace on our lives. If you would just lift your hands. Father, I pray that as we dwell in your kingdom, that you would help us to not miss what you're saying or what you're doing. But I declare over your people today who are a part of your kingdom, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost, being approved unto God, having true wholeness and quietness and rest and prosperity, having true gladness in heart, not being dragged down by what's happening around us, but knowing that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And God, we thank you that we get to be your children. Thank you that we get to live in your kingdom and be a part of the dwelling that you created for us to have on the earth. And we say, as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, God, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. God, let us carry the kingdom of God into the schools and into our jobs and into the marketplace, into our neighborhoods, into our homes. And I just speak over you today, as a kingdom citizen, you are an ambassador for the kingdom of God, that everywhere that your feet tread, you get to take as ground for heaven. You get to declare this is kingdom property. This is a kingdom atmosphere, and we're walking in your kingdom. And so I pray that as we walk in your kingdom, that we would also lead other people to find you and to know you. God, I pray that you would give us a compassion for the lost, for the hurting, and for the broken. If we found your kingdom to be such a place of righteousness, peace, and joy, then we ought to want others to come and be a part of what you're doing. And so we resubmit ourselves today to the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're in the altar, you can continue your time with the Lord if you would like. If you would just lift your hands and receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you cause his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you, lift up his countenance upon you, may he keep you in his peace, smile all over you, and may you always live in the kingdom. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost be everywhere that you go, be in you, through you, and may you be blessed in all that you do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you. I trust that you are encouraged and inspired by the word of God today. Once again, I want to say thank you for joining us on this podcast. It's very important that after you receive the Word of God to make sure it gets sealed in your heart. I'd like to do that with you. I'd like to pray with you that we could tuck it away in our hearts and that we let the Word of God have free course, move swiftly in us, and it would glorify God. You know, the Word of God is a seed. You can expect results out of it. You can expect fruit out of it. You can expect something to be produced. Again, I'm so thankful that you joined us. Now allow me just a moment to pray with you. Father God, we come to you in the wonderful name of Jesus, the Word of God himself. And I thank you for the Word that has been heard. I thank you for the Word that has been received. And Lord, now I ask that it gets covered up and it gets protected and locked and lodged in our hearts, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would water it. I pray that you would nurture it, that you would bring the light and revelation that it needs. And I pray that it produce good fruit in each and every heart that has received it today. I ask this in Jesus' name. I do this at the end of every service at the church. I want to do it with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and may the Lord find great delight in you and may you find great joy in him. May the Lord provide for you. May the Lord protect you and may the Lord give you peace, peace. God bless you. Thanks for joining us.